Over the past several months, we've been studying in the book of Joshua, and the big idea in the book of Joshua is the courage to obey. And this morning, we reached the halfway point in the book of Joshua. Joshua's really got two parts. The first part is Israel's conquest of the land. The second part is Israel settling into the land. Well, today, in just a minute, we're going to turn to Joshua chapter 11, and we're going to see the final battle uh, that the children of Israel go through to settle in or to conquer the land that God has given them to conquer. Well, this morning, as we look at that, as well as kind of looking back over where we've come in the book of Joshua, it's a great opportunity to think again about this big picture idea, the idea of obedience. So what we want to do this morning is I want to give you seven observations about obedience uh, that comes from our passage in Joshua chapter 11. So if you would, take a Bible and turn to Joshua 11. It's page 178 in the church Bibles. So in other words, if you don't have a Bible with you, that's perfectly fine. But in the rack in front of you or under your seats is a Bible that looks like this. And if you take one of those and turn to page 178, you'll be right where we are as we've been looking through the book of Joshua. While you're turning, let me put a map up here so that we can kind of orient ourselves geographically to what we're about to hear. We're about to hear the final battle that the children of Israel are going to engage in, uh, in, the, in, the, in the nation of Canaan or in the, the land of Canaan. When we talk about Canaan, it's really that land strip where you see the word southern campaign and northern campaign. It's the piece of land in between the Jordan River and the Mediterranean Sea. As we've been tracking with the children of Israel, they began on the east side of the Jordan in the wilderness, and we watched them in the book of Joshua cross the Jordan River, conquer the city of Jericho, defeat Ai and Bethel, and then for the past couple of weeks, we have been looking at what was, we would call the southern campaign, meaning that there were five kings of the five city-states in the south who together banded together to attack Gibeon, who is one of Israel's allies, and so Israel was drawn into war in the southern campaign, and we saw that a couple of weeks ago. The sun stood still in the sky, and God rained hail down from the sky. Today, we are going to see the children of Israel engage in a battle in what we might call the northern campaign with the northern city-states in the land of Canaan who are going to band together to attack the Israelites. God is going to give the children of Israel a great victory in Joshua chapter 11. But as we follow through the narrative, this will be our opportunity to observe seven things about obedience that are presented to us in this passage. So I'm going to read through Joshua 11. Now this is this chapter is sort of the Super Bowl of Hebrew names. So if I don't make it all the way through these names, have mercy. I practiced last night, but this is a tough chapter. We're going to work our way through Joshua 7, and when we get to specific spots, or Joshua 11, when we get to spots, I'll stop and we'll make our observations. So here we go. When Jabin... King of Hatzor heard of this. He sent word to Jobab, king of Madon, to the kings of Shimron and Akshaph, and to the northern kings who were in the mountains, in the Arabah south of Kinnereth, in the western foothills, and in the Naphoth Dor on the west. 
to the Canaanites in the east and west, to the Amorites, Hittites, Perizzites, and Jebusites in the hill country, and to the Hivites below Hermon in the region of Mitzpah. They came out with all their troops and a large number of horses and chariots, a huge army, as numerous as the sand on the seashore. All these kings joined forces and made camp together at the waters of Miram to fight against Israel. Okay, stop here for a moment. Observation number one about obedience. Obedience is always the means of victory. It's always the means by which God brings victory. You see, as we've been going through the book of Joshua, this is our fourth major battle. Now, there were more battles, but only four have been narrated for us. And if you look, each one has increased in danger. So, for example, the first battle was against the city of Jericho. This was a difficult enemy because Jericho had such high walls. But still, it was only one city. The next battle was against Ai and Bethel. Now, Ai is just a small outpost, but Bethel is a major city, and together, Ai and Bethel are a more formidable enemy than Jericho. In the last few weeks, we've been looking at the attack on Gibeon, which involves five city-states in the south of Canaan. That means five kings aligning themselves against the children of Israel. Now in this passage, we see that the enemy is the biggest it's ever been. In other words, the army that they are facing are as numerous as the sand in the seashore. More than that, we're told for the first time in Joshua that there are war horses and chariots on the enemy's side, which means that not only are they numerically superior, they're also technologically superior. Israel is fighting the most uh, difficult enemy they've fought so far. But what's really interesting about this story, you haven't seen it yet, but you're about to see it, is that while God gives to Israel a great victory, we're not told exactly how that comes about. And there's a reason for that. Because at this point, the how doesn't matter. What matters is obedience. Obedience is always the key to victory. Sometimes God causes the sun to stand still in the sky. Sometimes God rains hail down from the sky. Sometimes God has people march around cities and walls fall down. Sometimes God throws the enemy into confusion. Sometimes God gives battle plan for uh, battle plans for an ambush. But at that point, we don't know what he does here. All we know is that the children of Israel are victorious, and that's the point. Obedience is the key to victory. It's always the key. And the same is true for you and I today. Whatever situation, please hear me carefully, whatever situation you're facing, if it's difficulty at college, if it's a health situation you're going through, if you have a friend that's been in a car accident, if you've got a grandchild who's walked away from the Lord, if it's financial trouble that you're facing, if it's an assignment from God that he's asked you to carry out, if you're going through relational trouble, if you're simply watching the news and feeling frightened about what's going on in the world today, whatever situation you are facing, the key to victory is obedience. Obedience will bring victory in whatever the situation is. 
You see, we sometimes get fixated on the how. But how is God going to do it? How is God going to bring this about? How is God going to make that happen? And the interesting thing about Joshua chapter 11 is the how is not narrated for us because the how is different in every situation. What really matters is the main point. Obedience brings victory. Over the past several months, we've had a number of different testimonies. People come up on the platform and share their story. And maybe you heard some of these testimonies and think, my life needs to look like that. That was never the point. The point is, they obeyed. When we obey, we experience the same thing. Observation number one, obedience is always, always, always the means of victory. Circumstances will change, but obedience is always the key. Keep reading with me, verse 6. The Lord said to Joshua, Do not be afraid of them, because by this time tomorrow I will hand all of them slain over to Israel. You are to hamstring their horses and burn their chariots. So Joshua and his whole army came against them suddenly at the waters of Merom and attacked them. And the Lord gave them into the hand of Israel. They defeated them and pursued them all the way to greater Sidon, to Misphoroth Maim, to the valley of Mitzpah on the east, until no survivors were left. Joshua did to them as the Lord had directed. He hamstrung their horses and burned their chariots. Observation number two. Obedience is shaped by the promises of God. Our obedience is shaped by the promises of God. What I mean by that. Verse 6, the Lord says to Joshua, don't be afraid of this enormous technologically superior army. I will hand all of them over to you tomorrow slain. Interestingly, after Joshua hears that word, <clears throat> he doesn't announce to the children of Israel, vacation tomorrow. God's going to be doing the fighting. We get to go on vacation. When we get back from vacation, everyone will be dead. It will be fine. That's not what he does. He jumps into battle. Why? Because God has promised them victory, and the promise of victory shapes the obedience. A couple of weeks ago, we talked about inquiring of the Lord, asking God for advice. One of the promises of God that shapes that obedience is Psalm 23, in which we say, The Lord is my shepherd, I lack nothing. He leads me beside still waters. He takes me into pleasant pastures. It's easy to hear Psalm 23 and say, well, God's going to do the guiding. I might as well be free to do whatever I feel like doing. No, no, no. The truth of the matter is God is a God who guides and directs, who loves to take us in beside still waters and in, uh, into green pastures. Our job is to ask him for guidance. The truth of the matter is God is a guiding God, and that truth shapes our obedience. Observation number three. Obedience protects us from contaminating influences. Our obedience protects us from contaminating influences. God's very clear that he wants the chariots destroyed and the horses hamstrung. Why? Well, Psalm 20, verse 7 tells us why. Some trust in chariots 
and some in horses, but we trust in the name of the Lord our God. See, there's a very real danger. Israel's going to win this battle because God's going to give uh, the city-states in the north over to them. But there's a very real danger that when the children of Israel win this battle, they're going to look at all those chariots and they're going to look at all those war horses and think, huh, we could use those to conquer some more land. They could become a warmongering people. Listen, Israel is in this land for a very specific purpose. They are there to bring the punishment of God upon the Canaanites who have been disobedient for so many hundreds of years. And they are there to fulfill God's promise to Abraham to give him a certain piece of land that God promised to his descendants. That's it. They're not there to conquer the known world. They're not there to become a vast empire. But God knows those chariots and those horses... They're going to tempt Israel to take more than what God has given to them. You see, the thing about hamstringing a horse is that it would keep it from being used in battle as a war horse, but it would still be effective for domestic chores. So what God is saying is, look, if you're not careful, the things around you will influence you negatively, but obedience protects us from that. A couple of weeks ago, Lou DeGraff, uh, one of the women in our congregation, very courageously stood up here on the platform and she talked about how she had experienced abuse uh, as a young child and how God <clears throat> had been walking with her through this, but recently God had been asking her to be open to reconciliation uh, with the person who had done that to her. As she shared her testimony, the most powerful part of the testimony for me personally as I listened was when she said, when God told me to be open to it, in my head I kept saying, but what about all that good godly advice, seemingly good advice that I had received, which said, don't trust a person who's hurt you. You can forgive, but you don't have to forget. Make sure there are barriers in place so that you don't get hurt again. The reason why that part of the testimony really hit me was I thought, well, that's the advice I give. That's the kind of stuff I tell people to do. But in Lou's case, God was asking her to do something different. And the obedience to that command was protecting her from the contaminating influence of the wisdom of the world. That's what obedience does. You and I don't have to worry about how the world is going to influence. We just simply have to obey and our obedience will protect us from the wisdom of the world, from the temptations of chariots and horses, from the temptations of power and beauty and money. Obedience protects us from the contaminating influences around us. Verse 10. At that time, Joshua turned back and captured Hatzor and put its king to the sword. Hatzor had been head of all these kingdoms. Everyone in it they put to the sword. They totally destroyed them, not sparing anyone that breathed, and he burned hot sore itself. Joshua took all these royal cities and their kings and put them to the sword. He totally destroyed them, as Moses the servant of the Lord had commanded. Yet Israel did not burn any of the cities built on their mounds except hot sore, which Joshua burned. The Israelites carried off for themselves all the plunder and livestock of these cities. 
but all the people they put to the sword until they completely destroyed them, not sparing anyone that breathed. As the Lord commanded his servant Moses, so Moses commanded Joshua, and Joshua did it. He left nothing undone of all that the Lord commanded Moses. Observation number four. Obedience to those in authority over us is obedience to God. When we obey those that God has put in authority over us, we are obeying God. As we've looked through the book of Joshua, there have been a number of times in which Joshua did something and we said, where did he get this idea? It came from Moses. God instructed Moses. Moses instructed Joshua. Joshua did it. Moses, for example, Moses commanded Joshua, when you get into the land, find these two mountains that Abraham used to camp in between. Go there and repeat this covenant ceremony. So Joshua, when he gets into the land, does that exactly just as God gave to Moses. Last week, we talked about these southern kings being impaled on poles and having their necks stepped on by the army commanders. Why did Joshua do that? Because Moses commanded him to do that in the book of the law. But the interesting thing in the book of Joshua is there's also lots of times where God is giving Joshua commands directly. God's telling Joshua to cross the Jordan River. God's telling Joshua to march around the city of Jericho. God's telling Joshua how to attack Ai. And the question is, why doesn't God just tell Joshua everything directly? I mean, clearly God can talk to Joshua. Clearly Joshua is listening. Why doesn't God just simply every morning when Joshua wake up, wakes up, why doesn't God just give him his marching orders for the day? And the answer is because it takes more faith to see God speaking to us through other people sometimes. That while there are a number of things that God tells Joshua directly, there are also a number of things where God is simply waiting for Joshua to submit to the commands God gave to Moses for him. Frankly, this point has been one of the hardest points for the leadership at this church with regards to Grace Beyond, our building project. The desire of the elders, and frankly my desire, has been, Lord, please tell each person at Calvary Church directly and independent of me that we're supposed to do this and that it's supposed to proceed exactly in this way. Now, there have been some things that God has said, I do want to interact directly with each and every person of Calvary Church, for example, in what we're supposed to give. That's something that God is interacting with each of us individually. But there have also been a number of things in which God has said to the leadership of the church, I'm telling you and you go tell them because I want them to submit to what I'm telling you. And frankly, that's a lot harder. It's harder for us who have to submit it's harder for those who have to lead. But God is saying, look, obedience to those in authority is obedience to God. And in grace beyond, there are decisions in which God is telling people things. And I and you simply have to submit because this is the way God's chosen to do it. Some things he tells us directly. Some things are mediated to us through those in authority over us. And true obedience recognizes that obedience to those God has put in authority over us 
is obedience to God. Keep reading in verse 16. Now, a change is happening in verse 16. Everything up till verse 16 has been this battle against the northern city-states. From 16 on is now a review of everything that's happened in the first 11 chapters. So verse 16 is now moving into summary mode. So Joshua took this entire land, the hill country, all the Negev, the, the whole region of Goshen, the western foothills, the Arabah and the mountains of Israel with their foothills, from Mount Halak, which rises towards Seir, to Baal Gad in the valley of Lebanon below Mount Hermon. He captured all their kings and put them to death. Joshua waged war against all these kings for a long time. And observation number five is that obedience often takes a long time. See, if you read through the book of Joshua, the author is really giving us the highlights of what's happened. And if you've come here week after week and you hear these sermons, you could get the impression that this whole book so far has taken about six months. That we kind of go to one week, we're at one battle, and next week we're at a next battle, and the next week we're at another battle. In reality, to the best of our understanding, from the beginning of the book of Joshua until here is about seven years. And the author is trying to make that clear in verse 18. Listen, the obedience that Joshua did played out over a long period of time. You and I have just gotten the snippet version. But in reality, this was not moving from one mountaintop to the next mountaintop. It was happening over a long period of time. And in reality, that's normally how obedience takes place. We think obedience is a one-time act. Okay, God asked me to do this. I did it. Everything should be great. Normally, obedience is a daily choice. And that when God sends you on a journey, you have to continue to obey. And that journey plays out over a long period of time. Again, a couple of months ago, Greg and Sharon Kaiser, uh, who were part of our church, stood up here on the platform. It was their very last Sunday in Grand Rapids. God had asked them to move to Maine to help with a church plant that Calvary is doing out in Maine. Greg and Sharon stood up here and told the story about how it took about a year for God to convince them that they weren't crazy, that they should actually do this, that they needed to obey. And they told story after story about the way that God worked that out and how they were willing to move without Greg having a job or Sharon having a job and not sure how this was all going to work out with their kids in school. But God had made it clear. And we celebrated with them. What great faith. They went and did this. And God is miraculously provided. Greg has a job and Sharon has a job and their kids seem to be doing well and are integrating into school. But just a week or two ago, I got an email from Sharon saying, could you please pray for us? We're really having a hard time. It's difficult to keep obeying. But it's something that takes so long. You and I would think, hey, look, they did this big thing. They moved to Maine. Everything should go smoothly now. Journey's done. Check that off the list. Well done. But that's not how obedience worked for the children of Israel. It's not how obedience worked for Sharon and Greg. It's not usually how obedience works for you and I. What is reality is, is that obedience involves daily choices. 
and it plays out over a long period of time. The next two verses are kind of hard to hear. Verse 19, they're tough verses. Except for the Hivites living in Gibeon, not one city made a treaty of peace with the Israelites who took them all in battle. And here's the hard verse. For it was the Lord himself who hardened their hearts to wage war against Israel so that he might destroy them completely, exterminating them without mercy as the Lord had commanded Moses. Observation number six. Obedience keeps our hearts soft before the Lord. To take verse number 20 and understand what it means when it says that God has hardened their hearts, we have to kind of understand how that idea takes place in all of Scripture. And in the greater counsel of Scripture, what we come to recognize is, is that when you and I choose disobedience, when we choose to disobey God, our hearts become harder. Sometimes that hardening is attributed to us. Sometimes that hardening is attributed to God, meaning that if you and I continue to choose disobedience, the sobering fact of the matter is that at some point God himself may harden our hearts to the point where they're no longer able to respond so that he will bring discipline into our life. See, the truth of the matter is you and I, cannot continue to choose disobedience, sexual immorality, greed, bitterness, anger, selfishness, pride. We cannot willingly continue to choose those things and not have our heart hardened. That's how it works. It is sobering. It's sobering for me. It's sobering for you. The truth of the matter is, if you choose disobedience, your heart will become hard even potentially to the point of making you unable to respond but the good news is when you and I choose obedience this will never ever be our fate this will never ever happen hearts that are obeying cannot become hardened you know, last week we had this really powerful story. Alex and Marley sh stood up here and shared their story. And Alex told about the fact that through disobedience, his heart had become hardened through the choices that he made. So much so that he had reached the point where he thought there was no hope and he should end his entire life. And on the day that he had picked to end his life, God gave him something to obey, mediated through a human authority, his mom. And his mom asked him to contact somebody from Calvary Church. And amazingly, at the very last, when you would think that a heart would have been so hardened it couldn't respond, that at the very last moment, in that act of obedience, God used that act of obedience to allow Alex to hear the gospel. And in the gospel, he was asked to submit to Jesus as Lord. And in that act of obedience, God brought him salvation. Even when you get to the point that your heart is hardening, 
If today you hear God's voice, the encouragement is do not harden your heart. If today you hear him saying something for you to obey, it's not too late. This tells us there's a possibility it will become too late. But today, today if he's telling you something to do, today if he's asking you to obey, today in whatever journey you're involved in, if you're having difficulty in the world of sports, if you're having difficulty in the world of finance or relationships or at work, whatever it is, if God is speaking to your heart today and gives you something to do or to obey or to submit to and you listen, your heart will never be hardened. Verses 21 to 23. At that time, Joshua went and destroyed the Anakites from the hill country, from Hebron to Beer and Anab, from all the hill country of Judah and from all the hill country of Israel. Joshua totally destroyed them and their towns. No Anakites were left in Israelite territory. Only in Gaza, Gath, and Ashdod did any survive. So Joshua took the entire land just as the Lord had directed Moses. And he gave it as an inheritance to Israel according to their tribal divisions. Then the land had rest from war. Observation number seven. Obedience brings peace. Obedience brings peace. It's not by accident that the last peoples mentioned in Joshua 11 are the Anakites. Who are the Anakites? They're the giants in the land. See, the Perizzites and the Jebusites and the Amorites and the Canaanites, they look like you and I. Maybe more like me than like you. But they look normal-sized. Dark-skinned, normal-sized. But the Anakites, they're giants. These are the peoples that Israel is most afraid of. You see, when the, 40 years earlier, when the spies go into the land and they see all the rest of these people groups, that doesn't really worry them so much. But when they see the Anakites, they come back and say, no deal. No way we can take that land. We saw people who were literally giants. We cannot defeat them. Well... Here we are in Joshua chapter 11. And the Anakites represent that greatest fear that the Israelites have that has now been brought into submission underneath their feet. If the rest of the peoples represent the normal hardships of the activities God calls us on, the Anakites represent that spiritual hardship, fear. See, whatever situation you're facing today, the true enemy is fear. Whether it's a divorce you didn't ask for, whether it's a life-threatening uh, illness, whether it's a child that's walked away from the Lord, whether it's a college course that you're not sure how you're going to make it through, whether it's people picking on you at school for being a Christian, Whatever the situation is, the real problem is fear. How's this going to turn out? The real problem is the anxiety, the doubt, all of the difficulty, all of the confusion. But listen, please, this is the most important point. Obedience brings peace. 
That's why the very last line is the land was at rest. Listen, you can't control your circumstances. You can't control what happens to you. You can't control what people do to you. You can't control what goes on in the world today. You can't control when Satan decides he wants to come after you. But what you can control is when you choose to obey, you will experience peace. Peace from your greatest fears, whatever it is. Listen, God says, Submit to God, resist the devil, and he will flee from you. This is how this works. Whatever situation, however you got there, if you're willing to say, this isn't what I would have chosen. This isn't how I want this to work. But Lord, you're in charge, not me. You allowed me to be in this spot. You allowed this to happen. Even if it's your own fault, if you're willing to submit, if you're willing to say, okay, Lord, I'm here. You tell me what I'm supposed to do and I'll do it. You tell me to talk, I'll talk. You tell me to be silent, I'll be silent. You tell me to work, I'll work. You tell me to wait, I'll wait. If you will take that attitude, please hear what I'm saying. No matter what situation you are in, you will experience peace. It doesn't mean that terminal illness will go away. It doesn't mean that everyone will suddenly be nice to you. Now listen, you will ultimately look in victory on, on any situation. But in the midst, you will have peace. That's what obedience does. Listen, here's the big takeaway from Joshua. I'm going to let you in on a little secret. It's a preacher secret. All these sermons in Joshua, they're all the same sermon. We just kind of change some stuff. It's the same point. The point is this. Obedience always, 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 always brings victory. And the greatest form of that victory is peace. Peace. Rest. Peace with God. Peace with others. Peace with yourself. Peace with the world. And God says, listen, here's the great lie of Satan. The great lie of Satan is... He tells you and I, if we could just be in control, if we could get the weather to be like this, if we could get the bank statement to look like that, if we could get that person to hear this, if we could correct that misunderstanding about us, then we'll have peace. It is a lie. You will never be able to control those things. But the truth of the matter is, if you will submit to God, you'll have peace. you have peace. And in that obedience... Listen, I'm telling you from God's word, in that obedience, you will always, always, always have victory. Obedience is the means of victory. You say, how? I can't see it. I don't know. God didn't even tell us how they won this battle. The, ma the point is, it doesn't matter how. It'll be different in every case. We got a thousand people in this room. There'll be a thousand different ways that God will work it out. But the point is, obedience always brings victory. And it always gives you peace and rest. Which means, right now, whatever situation that you're experiencing fear, whatever situation in your life that you're not at peace about, whatever situation that's waking you up at three in the morning, 
Whatever situation that's running through your mind, whether it's what's taking place in the world today, whether it's a trip you're about to go on, whether it's an assignment that God's given you at work, whether it's somebody that you know you're supposed to share the gospel with and you're scared of, whether it's someone who's persecuted, whatever situation you are in that you do not have peace, it means there's something in that situation you're not obeying. It's something you're not submitting. You're trying to run that situation instead of letting God run that situation. You're trying to be in charge of that situation instead of letting God be in charge of that situation. Now hear this correctly. I'm not saying if you have difficult things in your life, you're not obeying. No. If you're obeying, you probably will have tons of difficult things in your life. I'm saying if you don't have peace, it's because of a lack of obedience. And if you're willing to submit and obey, if you're willing to say, Lord, whatever you tell me to do, I'll do, you'll have peace. Let's pray together. Lord, you know that I would like to go around to each person individually and ask them, what are you afraid of? Where are you lacking peace? Lord, I can't do that, but you can. Lord, would you send your Holy Spirit even right now as I'm praying? Lord, would you point out who this sermon is for and what you're saying to them? God, you are the God of peace. You're the Prince of Peace. Lord, you've said that we'll have trouble in this world, but you give us your peace. And so, Lord, I'm not praying. As I pray for these people, Jesus, I'm praying the same thing that you taught me to pray, which is I'm not praying that you would keep them from trouble. I am praying that you would give them peace in the middle of it. And Lord, from your word, you've told me the key to peace is obedience. And so, Lord, whatever we're not submitting in, Lord, whatever we're not, please, Lord, would you show it to us. Please, Lord, would you help us to see it. Please help us to obey. Lord, let us fix our eyes on Jesus, who in every circumstance, in every situation, chose obedience. May we be like you, Jesus. Help us to do that. God, I'm entrusting this to your Holy Spirit that in each, in each individual situation, you will bring this truth home. God, I look forward to how in a thousand different ways you will show yourself to be faithful. Lord, we don't have to know how that will be now. We just simply want to trust. Would you do this, please, in Jesus' name. Amen.